Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Fred Nastos and Adam Whitlam from BMO's fixed income sales and trading team. This episode is titled On the Path to Rate Hikes. Also note that this podcast was recorded in the afternoon of Wednesday, February 23rd, before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC Sales and Trading Desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Welcome back, gentlemen, to the show. Uh, Pleasure to have both of you on once again. I don't think you've been on together just yet, but that will make, this will make for an excellent show, I think. Thank you. I don't think Fred and I have been together in a room this small in probably about, uh, I don't know, 24 months. (laughs) That's right. For sure, yeah. COVID is, fun, uh, COVID fun. COVID fun, that's right. Uh, so let, let, we, we have the Bank of Canada next week, so let's, uh, let's start there. We are at the precipice of what will likely be a series of rate hikes. How many, I guess we'll have to see. I have an opinion, I have an opinion on everything. That's my job. How fast they go, I think that's still somewhat up in the air. The market is pricing some odds of 50 beeps in each of the next few meetings, including the, the, the coming one, although a little bit less so there, I think. Uh, and, and, and personally, I wouldn't, wouldn't rule that out beyond this meeting. And, and it's very difficult for me to see the bank backing off at all anytime soon. They've made it very, very clear that the path on rates is higher. Uh, they've also made it really clear by saying absolutely nothing about the odds of a 50 that they're probably going 25 on March 2nd. Uh, and that, that I'm, I'm sticking very much to. But at, beyond that, I, I don't have super high conviction because things can change in a hurry and inflation numbers can move and all that kind of stuff. Um, Adam, why don't we start with you? What do you think about the bank next week? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think, uh, you know, Macklin made it very clear uh, that I think uh, they wanted to be more transparent with what they were thinking after some of the market volatility that we saw at the end of October and some of the knock-on effects from that, the the complete lack of liquidity in the backs market. Uh, you know, the, the market effectively became untradeable for a while there, especially in the front end. So I think they want to avoid that. They made that really clear that they're going to be very succinct with what they want to do. And I don't think they were obvious or clear enough in the you know last couple speaking engagements over the last week to pave the way for 50. So I think I think 25 locked and loaded 100%. And then who knows after that, maybe 50 beeps comes up after that. I do think we have some pretty juicy inflation prints that are probably gonna come up in the next couple of months. Uh, you have lots of other central banks. You had the uh, Reserve Bank in New Zealand uh, overnight that you know they did 25, which was what was expected, but they certainly had the chat about 50, and and that seems to be the trend with most global central banks. So I don't see why you know 50 beeps would be off the table, uh, you know, for April. So that's definitely a possibility. Well, you know, one thing I think uh, the market and uh, market pundits are kind of asking about is, you know, we're still we're still 
seeing a lot of buybacks pretty regularly in the market, like bond buybacks and, you know, including the five-year sector and 10-year sector. Twice a week. Twice a week. So, so, you know, at some point, I think, and at some point being sooner rather than later, we really need to pump the brakes on that. You know, when you get to an environment where you're still buying bonds back twice a week, but you're also hiking 75 beeps over two meetings, it's a really confusing message. So yeah, it's kind of, they're, they're, they're kind of congruent, right? Yeah. So so <laughs> maybe that's your 50 beep hike at the first meeting. It's 25 beeps, but we're also going to completely stop all the buybacks. So Deputy Governor Lane very strongly hinted that that is, is something they will probably be doing. I, I expect the buybacks to end at the next meeting. Um, as 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 much as like the it, it really matters more for for May because the next meaningful maturity is in May. Uh, like they're it's March one. There's a maturity, but the meeting's on March second. So, um, in theory, they're still reinvesting for that March first maturity. Uh, there isn't one in April, and so the next one's in May. So, in theory, they could stop reinvesting in April. Uh, and they'd only have to reinvest for this this March maturity, but um, just ending buying altogether. The fact that they're buying anything is absolutely ridiculous. It's it's amazing from a layman's perspective too, right? Because you're sitting there, if you're sitting from the outside, and you've heard about QE, and you're and all this talk about it ending around the world and, and central banks reducing fiscal stimulus. Yet, you know, even today, there was more QE being done in Canada, right? So it's, uh, I, yeah, I, I think if they don't, if they don't terminate it, it will, it will just raise a lot of questions. What, what are we missing around all this? Where, where, where might me and Adam, Adam and I have this wrong, Mr. Nastos? I, I don't think they can go 50 either. Um, some of it's priced in, but I think if you go 50 in the next meeting, you then open up 50 for the next meeting, and we're suddenly at one and a quarter percent overnight by June uh, or April, and uh, that might actually, you know, um, have some impact on the on the economy. Uh, that would be a pretty quick, uh, you know, pretty quick bump on people's lending, you know, borrowing rates, and so on. So I'm in the camp where they they go 25 and they go, you know, four or five meetings in a row. Yeah, definitely. I'm 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 with you at 50. 50s at all are pretty extremes. It's, I think it's going to take a big inflation miss. And so what is that? I, I, don't, I don't have an answer, but what I can tell you is that my, my forecast for February CPI, and I know we're still in February, it is currently February 23rd uh, in the afternoon. So I, I can't know what prices are entirely this month, but uh, from what I do know and from the gas price information and all the other stuff we have, uh, I'm getting a, another chunky print and the year over year goes up to 5.4%. Uh, which would be another multi-decade high. And the bank had five-ish kind of over the first half of the year. So I don't know if 5.4 is higher than around 5%. I guess it's probably on the edge there. But there's also a pretty decent probability you get another acceleration in March. And then you're looking at something north of 5.5%, at which point I would say you're above 5 or around 5. And where, then, where, does, where does that acceleration come from? Uh, some of it's gas prices, some of it's just underlying pressures. Like you, you look at the breadth of the price increases and it's, it's everywhere. Uh, like the, the, the share of goods rising at kind of three, four, five, 6% is really high. You have a third. So I, I, I broke the basket down into 42 major categories. So the top 40, not top 42, but 42 categories. And, and, uh, about one third of those are rising at 6% year over year. When will we see the, op- the, the, the reverse of the base effects? from last year happening like will that be sort of later this fall is that kind of when you might expect to come to come off second quarter is when things should start to come off like the second quarter numbers so april may june which you get in may june july you should start to see things pull back but you know you do get a pullback 
It's a question of the extent of the pullback. So like inflation might might crash. So maybe let's say I'm right about March. Let's say March prints 5.6 or something. And and then in, in, in April, May, and June, those three, you get some deceleration. And we, we make our way back down to like four, whatever, four and change, four and a lot, four, seven, four, eight, something in that neighborhood. You're still way, way, way above target. And you've had, and those base effects are now gone. And it, it the fact that you're only down a percentage point or so tells you that there's still a lot of underlying pressure there. And if that underlying pressure persists, and I'm not sure why it's not going to, because it is broad, what choice does the bank account have but to be more aggressive? Uh, well, I guess it comes back to where, where this inflation really comes from, right? Like, is it, you know, we're seeing wages go higher. Yep. Right? Will they, are we, re, are we repricing everything to a new price level? And then we're going to go back to our pre-COVID trends of two-ish plus percent? Or has something actually dramatically changed with, say, the balance of labor and capital and, you know, and, and labor will be able to demand a higher price, you know, sort of, you know, for the next you know year or two or something like that, right? And so that that's what I'm kind of worried about, and I and I'm sort of always trying to look for those angles and see where you know where 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 that pressure is really coming from. But yeah, obviously, obviously, sort of the summer is going to be very interesting, you know, from from the data side. So a couple one one thing: wages are going to pick up more in Canada. So like they're they're actually relatively subdued here relative to the U.S. They're significantly stronger in the U.S. at the moment. Uh, but the base effects for wages are actually super weak a year ago. Uh, and so you're going to see a big acceleration Feb, March, I think it's like four or five consecutive months starting in February. So you're going to see a big chunky acceleration there. And that's where the Bank of Canada really, the alarm bells really start to go off because once it goes up, wage inflation isn't something that is really dynamic. When it goes up, it stays up. Well, I, then that's the question. So like, I, I feel as if, and I and I have no basis for this, but I, I mean... It's hard for me to believe that you're not going to have employees saying, well, the price of everything has just gone up by 5 to 10%. I want more money, please, 5 to 10%. And then so you have the beginnings of a wage price spiral. And you, I mean, to some extent, we saw that in the business outlook survey and some of the text that was in there, uh, that it, it kind of hinted at that. And I, I just don't know how we kind of get away from that. Maybe it's a one-time shift, but like, that means corporate profit margins then shrink as well. And I'm pretty sure they're not going to be comfortable with that. And you can add on top of that, like there's comfort in raising prices in a way that there hasn't been for 10 plus years. Like it, it is broad based. All, all producers, all, all companies sound as if they're much more comfortable raising prices and they're, they're able to pass those price increases along. And consumers say, you know what, I, I, okay, I don't really have much of a choice. And luckily there's piles of savings sitting in the background. So it's like, all right, well, I'll just eat into my savings a bit. That's okay. But there is a limit to that. At some point, again, it is, I want more, I want higher wages. And I suspect we're there. And that tells you there's, I, in my mind, there's still upside for inflation in the second half of the year. You're not going to have a, a huge deceleration that I think the market sees at this point. Any retort? Uh, look, I mean, you paint you paint a picture that um, implies a possibly much higher terminal rate than what is sort of out there, right? With the markets pricing it. So, like, and where where do you think that goes, though? Right? Like, like <laughs> that that, that it's, it's hard enough to even know which direction inflation is going to say how high it's going to go or how high terminal is going to be. I think higher than where we are now is is uh, a a pretty decent probability, even more so in the U.S. probably than in Canada. We're we're still slightly above them somehow, some way. 
uh, terminal in the U.S. should almost definitely be higher than in Canada. Stronger potential growth, stronger inflation, that should be sufficient. I don't think my argument needs to go beyond that. Uh, and, and so like that, yeah, definitely higher. The question would be like, how high of a rate can the economy bear? Yeah, there's some critical rate, right? You, just, you know, like you're, you're you know, 25, 50 beeps above that and, you know, you're, you're risk triggering a recession or something like that. And you're 25, 50 beeps below that. And you're, you know, you're not stopping what you're trying to stop. Like, you know, you're not, try, you're not stopping inflation or at least not enough. So, yeah, like obviously the big question is where is that number? But um, well, for the past 10 years, it's 175. That's the peak rate in the, in the past decade. But go go back another decade, and it's kind of four to five percent in Canada. And so, do is, is are the twenty tens the norm, or is that the outlier? So, with the amount, I mean, my comment to that would be, and I was going to kind of segue this into one of the impediments for the bank in terms of raising rates is household debt and just debt in general. And as these debt loads have grown larger and larger and larger and larger, then that terminal rate vis-a-vis has to come down because the impact of every basis point higher is going to have a much larger impact on your economy. So to the point with the Bank of Canada, if you look at mortgage creation and mortgage growth in the Canadian market, it is still very heavily weighted to floating rate mortgages. And so, you know, in an environment where you know the Bank of Canada is hiking rates. You know rates are going up. It's broadcast everywhere to have affordability as being a reason for continued floating rate mortgage growth really says, okay, well, this could mean that too many hikes or, or the number of hikes actually has to be lower because the impact of those hikes is going to be really aggravated. I mean, you can see it, you can see it on RateHub. How come on RateHub I can get a five-year fixed rate mortgage at 290, whereas if I'm a bank and I need to use five-year funding for that and credit spreads are now you know, 100, 110 back, I'm funding that mortgage at 315. It's a negative carry trade funding that mortgage in the public debt market to provide that money to people that you're lending it to at 290. It just shows you that banks are are hungry for fixed rate mortgages. That's concerning. That might be one area. Are, where, are you also just telling people to lock in their rates now? And I am. I am telling you, if you have a floating rate mortgage and it's quoted 120 beeps above your above, you know what you've currently got to fix it, go do it. Okay. Well, so. The, the flip side on the debt picture. Since the pandemic started, Canadians have saved an extra $290 billion. Additional savings. Yeah, yeah. However, Additional. Hold on, hold on, you hold on. just told us that those savings are going to be used. $290 billion is way more than enough to pay for inflation and the rate hikes. So, so I, I, as, as I know, you, you read my pieces religiously. And, and so this week I did talk about household debt. Uh, and one of the things that you can calculate what the average rate is on the total debt of for households, uh, and and I and I kind of extrapolated based on prior rate levels how much it would cost if policy rates moved back to to one seventy five, and it would cost about thirty five or so billion dollars a year, which is manageable, I think, at this point, given that savings pile that I just mentioned. Uh, the pace of rate hikes matters a lot too, and and that's something I've always been on. Uh, so that, that's thirty-five billion dollars annually. Annually in the entire Canadian housing market. Uh, Canadian household total household debt, yeah. not just housing debt, all debt. Uh, so the the pace matters a lot too. I, I, I really should stress this because over time incomes do go higher, 
And so as rates go up, you can afford higher payments. And so it makes it less onerous uh, if those rate hikes are spread over time. And that's where the inflation issue comes into comes into play. Whereas like if they're forced to go really fast, then it does have that much more pressure and that there's definitely risk there. And then add on top of that, um, the, the insanity of the housing market and the fact that prices in like middle of nowhere, Ontario have gone parabolic is is, is not good. <laughs> You're, it's a recipe for disaster. Uh, and, and not that I'm calling for that by any means, but it, it, it the risk is far greater, I think, than it has been uh, at least since I've been since I've been paying attention. So almost almost 20 years. Um, yeah. So it, it, it there there is a lot of challenges facing the Bank of Canada in this cycle. We'll see how 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 they meet those. But for now, I think 25 beeps at a time. We're all we're all in agreement here. Uh, and 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 we'll see what what uh, the next inflation prints bring, and maybe that changes the, the game for April. And we'll see what the Fed does in the middle of March. Like if they go fifty, then then that makes the bank way more likely to go fifty, probably. Uh, the market will for sure price in a lot more, uh, and I think that that's part of why there's there's thirty plus basis points priced into the uh, to the April meeting uh, at this point, even though it is it is so very far away. Uh, let's let let let's move on. Um, different different topic here, since I think we've beating the bank here to death. Just general market sentiment, market tone. Uh, Ukraine, Russia, the tensions there. Uh, even ahead of that, the market was wobbly and then we are coming on to, to Fed hikes, as, as, as I mentioned. Uh, and, and there's there's sentiment is, is under pressure here. Risk sentiment's under pressure generally. Is this what we should expect for the next few months? Like, is this going to continue? Uh, I think we're nearing an end here. Uh, credit spread's going to keep keep widening out. Or are buyers starting to pop in as as things uh, get a little bit cheaper here? Fred, why don't we start with you? Well, um, yeah. Uh, so one thing we've been concerned about for a long time is the removal of of central bank stimulus, you know, affecting credit markets, of course, or risk markets. And what you're seeing, that, you know, over the past couple of months, I think, is just that realization that simply, you know, there isn't there isn't going to be a wall of money underpinning assets, and uh, and things are slowly sort of repricing. Even the you know the sort of the geopolitical tensions with Ukraine and so on those those I mean to me uh, like uh, well we all buy into the narrative that you know if there's if there's skirmishes there it's not really going to affect the North American economy however uh, you know it, it is it is sort of a catalyst to just you know sort of push the risk off tone um, and to give people sort of reasons not to not to sort of step into the market and buy to buy anything. You know, fixed income itself is just very weak these days. Obviously, rates are going higher. Buyers are hesitant. Uh, it's unclear how high rates will go, right? Uh, you know, there's some interesting levels out there, like in the market that that we're all very close to, right? Which is in the Canadian market. Some of the you know, some of the bond indices are back to you know testing sort of decade level lows here, right? You know, so um, just to just to push a BMO product, right? If you look at the ZPL ETF, which is the provincial bond index, right? That's that's touching the lows that it's had, you know, at you know, over the past ten years or so, right? Maybe actually maybe more like five years. But it's sort of five year lows, right? So um obviously you know fixing was kind of a weak uh, is a weak area right now. I actually think you just you know it's gonna take a long time. Like it might take till till after March. You know, you might need the Fed to come out uh you know for the first meeting to pass. Um, maybe some reassuring words from from policymakers, but you know, if we think back to 2018, like the market really tested Powell, right? You know, if, if I think a lot of us remember 
you know, him, him, you know, at the press conference, you know, you have stocks falling while he's speaking, right? So I don't know if we need a moment like that again, but, uh, but at some point, uh, you know, at some point, I think the market will test the Fed. Yeah, I think, uh, I think equities actually have, I mean, we've seen obviously some, some pretty big downdraft days and, and, you know, there's been headline about correction territory for S&Ps, that sort of thing. I think, Fixed income markets, to Fred's point, have been softer than that. I think uh, you're seeing some pretty big new issue concessions on deals that need to get done, refinancings that are getting done, uh, especially in the U.S. There were some pretty shocking prints on uh, uh, there was a a U.S. bank deal uh, last week that had a pretty hefty nick, which kind of quickly repriced their entire five year financial market. Uh, So. I think you know we'll get these days where spreads are tighter by a beep or two, but generally speaking, there's a lot of reluctance out there, and then that's kind of really weighed on fixed income. Uh, you know, higher quality credits, provies, CMBs uh, have held in relatively well compared to say what's going on in, in even like the high quality corporate credit market. So I think. Like Fred said, you need to get the Band-Aid ripped off. You need to get some of these rate hikes under our belt, see some of the deleveraging in risk markets continue, see spreads continue to drift wider. But you know, historically, the relationship between higher yields and credit spreads has been tighter credit spreads, and, and we're not seeing that at this point. It's gone quite the other way. So there will be a point. I don't know how far out that is. I don't think we're that far away, to be honest. Maybe it's once we get these rate hikes under our belt, say it's March, April, you know, maybe it's May when we start to see some stability there. There will be a great opportunity where the all-in yields are really attractive for this stuff, especially for high-quality assets like Proe's and CMBs. I just don't think we're there yet. Yeah, and this isn't the first time we've seen it, right? Like, you know, there there is the original taper tantrum of 2013. Uh, you know, we had we had rates going higher with with you know equities going lower and you know spreads going wider. We saw it again in 2018, right? And yeah, in both cases, you just you, you needed, I think you just you needed policymakers to to sort of reassure the market. So I, I think what what needs to happen here is what what is weighing most on the market is uncertainty about the Fed and how far they need to go and how high, we don't know how high rates will go and so that's that's weighing on risk sentiment and and the difference between now and the past pretty much both all three of our careers when when higher rates didn't mean wider spreads they meant tighter spreads because rate hikes mean the economy is doing well. Except for now, they're hiking rates because of inflation. And so the economy is still in good shape, but the fear is that the inflation pushes them to go too far, and then that destroys the economy, and then you get back to a place where you, where you don't want to be owning uh, risky assets. And I think that that's the fear in the market. That's why spreads are, are heavy uh, pretty consistently, because we just don't know yet what regime we're actually in at this point. Uh, and, and that, I mean, it, it it's at least March minimum, the March meeting, like, Maybe maybe if they were able to go 25 and they say, like, we're not going to be super aggressive here. It's 25 per meeting until something like material changes or we're just way offside here because it does take it takes 12 to 18 to 24 months for rate hikes to have an impact anyways. And so it's not as if your seven to eight percent inflation print is going to turn lower automatically. Like it doesn't happen next month. It happens a year from now. You see what happened? He wanted to move away from the bank and the Fed, and he's turned back. Oh, I can't. <laughs> and we're back. It's who I am, and that's what I like at heart is, is, is central bank policy making. I think people don't realize how like how different of a world you might have with a terminal rate at two percent versus three percent. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. that's that's the that uncertainty is the crux of it. I think exactly what's going on. That hundred basis points is worth it, the hundred basis points is results in two different worlds, right? 
and so the discount rate that that hundred basis point move in a discount rate fifty percent. Oh, is I, I, absolutely yes. massive. That's right. That's right. Absolutely yeah. massive. And so that yeah, that goes back to Adam's point about you know I like to say you know the, the, there's a GDP per basis you know GDP per basis point move say right or or sensitivity but like there's a there's a big difference between two percent and three percent right you're repricing you know you're, you're repricing a lot of real assets and and people haven't seen three percent for fifteen years pretty much. Right. Uh, since since the financial crisis and uh, the, the one thing I'll go back to and I should have mentioned this earlier on on, on Canadian housing and debt is I you say at least that households have been stress tested at, at five plus percent on their mortgages so it it would hurt the economy if rates go up but it doesn't mean housing needs to implode it just means that consumption probably takes it takes potentially a bigger hit the higher rates go but uh, housing itself should be okay and then don't forget that we uh, have pretty high immigration rates in Canada. Five hundred thousand people a year is at least the target, and that means you got to put all those folks somewhere, which means there's demand for housing. Well, there's lots of investor condos, and, <laughs> and there's that, and, and the investor properties because, uh, like you pointed out in that same piece, you know the uh, the vacancy rate in an area that's quote unquote constrained by supply hasn't really gone down, which you would have expected. So. Clearly, there's a lot of investors in there with a lot of money in properties. So let's hope uh, they can find some renters. Yes, I think I think they'll manage it if we uh, if COVID doesn't derail us at this point. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's let's wrap things up here. But first, favorite trades? Do we have any going into the bank? I like. I like hiding out in the front end. I think honestly, it's not the time to go out and deploy duration and the curve is very flat. Could the curve invert? Yeah, that's absolutely possible. I think if the curve inverts, you're probably opening the door for these banks that own massive amounts of bonds in their balance sheet to start initiating QT and start selling those bonds. There's a real vested interest from the central banks to avoid a curve inversion and they have all the sheet usage they currently need to to reverse that. So, you know, I probably would prefer hiding out in the short end. I think, you know, like we were talking about in terms of credit spreads, some of the stuff in the front end looks really attractive. You can buy assets in a two-year. They're going to give you compression of, these are high-quality assets. These are provi assets. You can buy, they're going to give you compression of a, you know, credit spread of a basis point a month for two years. Plus, you get the advantage of a really flat twos-fives curve where we've priced a lot of the central bank tightening into the front end. So I think, you know, I think you get paid to, to hide out there. And I think, you know, should things not go your way, uh, that the carry will really compensate you. So, so owning, you know, Ontario 23s, owning Ontario 24s, owning CMBs in that part of the curve, if you need really low risk weighted assets, uh, even owning um, bank product, twos, threes, uh, makes a lot of sense here. Yeah, those are good ways to have steepeners on, right? I think that's what you're trying to say, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the camp that the curve will probably flatten some more. Um, but if you're going to have a steepener on, like, want to take advantage of the, you know, of the, of the sort of that two to three area where credit spreads have come off quite a bit. Um, you know, you now have, you know, a very positive carry, you know, steepening structure on and, you know, you, you, there's a lot of protection there from, from, from flattening is so. I, I agree. I think the curve still flattens, but you want to f- at least looking at some steepening trades and making sure to focus on the carry because it is probably going to take some time until we, we re-steepen. So if you can max out the positive carry there, then those trades uh, might be worthwhile just kind of sitting in them and, and waiting and uh, getting some protection against things going wrong because you don't really know uh, when, when something's going to go the, the wrong way, when things might go pear-shaped. Uh, I, I'm also a fan of Canada-U.S. here. Uh, I think Canada still has value. Uh, as I mentioned, the U.S. terminal rate still has to be higher. 
maybe maybe notably higher than than in Canada. They're they're still uh, much further offside on inflation than we are, and and I don't think that's going to change near term. So uh, I think that there's still room for Canada to perform, uh, probably a, across most of the curve, at least at least out to ten years. Related to that, what do you think is going on with the dollar? Which the dollar? loonie? The loonie. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Canadian dollar. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 I mean, I don't really have a great answer. Um, my, my best answer is, is oil and the dollar are not correlated the way they once were because we don't get the, the inflows we once did. When oil prices go up, there's no bid to invest in Canadian assets. There's no bid to buy Canadian assets for that matter. Uh, and, and, and 15 years ago there was, you'd had guys coming in oil sands and bidding up assets left, right and center. Uh, that just isn't the case anymore. And, and as much as oil prices help, uh, they help revenue, they help income, they help all that stuff. More money flows into the country. It's just not the same growth driver and 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 flow of funds driver. Do you have that number that handy? Was. How much? How I, much I is? Don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, anecdotally, you can just go back to five, six, seven, two thousand five, two thousand, and and look at all the people bidding for the oil sands assets, and it was just a frenzy. And and like it's the opposite now. Now it's like it's difficult to raise money if you're a Canadian oil producer because of ESG reasons more than anything else. And, uh, and, and it's made for a more challenging environment. And, and that's actually reinforces the inflation impulse because once upon a time, oil would go up, Canadian dollar strengthens. Okay. Oil in Canadian dollar terms actually isn't as high. Well, that's why I went there Not because the that's why I went there because you, you mentioned the U S having a lot, you know, the, the inflation problem or the inflation situation being sort of worse there. But I, I just don't see how, you know, I don't see why Canada will be much, better here i mean it's um well it's part of it's the index in, in fairness um but they've been open longer than we have and, and they're i guess maybe they're ahead of us from that perspective just the fact that they're ahead of us in the recovery and maybe our inflation people, impulse is when coming people go to the grocery store they don't they don't care what the index says <laughs> you know roughly the same produce that that they're you know that their american counterparts are buying too right yes so, yeah um, no you're right i mean uh, maybe we're just behind because we're behind on the recovery and we are behind them in the recovery. And so maybe we'll catch up from that perspective. And there's maybe more inflation coming. Wait, U.S. wages are already higher than Canadian wages. Uh, so, yeah, you you could be right on that front. And I, I could be very much wrong. But the other my other counterpoint would be the bank backed off a of QE far, far before the Fed did. And so there has in total a little bit less monetary stimulus here than, than there. Uh, at least we pulled back a little bit quicker. To, yeah. And we'll see. We'll see. All right, guys. Well, thank, thanks for coming on the show. All right. Our pleasure. Thanks a lot for having us. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. 
It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise it constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.